KYW Original Podcasts. From KYW News Radio, all news and all that matters to you, this is Flashpoint. What's igniting debate online and in your community? I'm KYW Community Affairs reporter Cherry Gregg, and we'll walk you through the big issues of the week that are getting folks hot under the collar. Welcome back to Flashpoint. I'm Cherry Gregg. It's Women's History Month, so for this special segment, our focus is on whose shoulders we stand, and today's guest is a perfect example. She's the youngest woman elected to Philadelphia City Council, but her journey began nearly 20 years ago when she met then-City Councilwoman Blondell Reynolds-Brown during a visit to her high school. She later became the Councilwoman's intern, and now she's filled her seat. Catherine Gilmore Richardson ran for elected office for the first time last year and won, thanks in large part to the shoulders of what she says. Council Member Gilmore Richardson, welcome to Flashpoint. Thank you. Thank you so much, Terry, for having me. So first of all, congratulations. Thank you very much. You've been in office like two months. Just Can two you believe it? I can't believe it. It's really surreal. Um, two months have gone by so very quickly, but I'm so honored to be able to do this work and to represent the people of my great city. Yeah, because you're in a citywide office. This is not district. This is citywide, and this is your first race. Yes, first time running for elected public service, uh, first time running citywide. It was very difficult. It was the most difficult 14 weeks of my entire life, and we were able to be successful so we can represent the people of this city. Wonderful. And so Mm -hmm. let's back it up because you're from Winfield. Yes. And um, just grew up in in that neighborhood educated your whole life in, you know, pretty except for college in this area. And you spent about 10 years plus working at City Hall. Yes. So my real story, I'm Philly through and through. Um, I was born to a teenage South Philly girl who gave me up for adoption at birth to my parents who raised me in the Winfield section of Philadelphia. And from there, I attended the best public schools, Gompers, Masterman for middle school, the Philadelphia High School for Girls for high school, and then went to Westchester University, which is only about 40 minutes from here, for undergrad and for grad school. And from there, I served as the graduate intern in city council, as a constituent service representative, as a special events manager, as a legislative aide for five years, working on public policy and learning how to write public policy that affects you know everyday life. And then served as a staff director for a year and then chief of staff for four years. So I've done just about every job you can have in a city council office uh, and have been there from intern and volunteer to now member of city council. So it's really, truly an honor um, to be able to look back to 1999 and say, here I am, 21 years later, a member of Philadelphia City Council. Jasmine Sessoms was one of our game changers this year. And she brought your name up as an epitome of a she-can-win woman. Yes. And she said, you know, she came in, she had just had a baby, she went to class, had her little notebook out, you know, asking questions. Next thing you know, you, you, you know, you running, and the timing was crazy, she said, but you killed it. Yes. And, you know, you can't plan for anything like this. Uh, She Can Win really is also another opportunity for women um, to be empowered and know that they can be a part of the electoral process in Philadelphia. And that's what that program did for me. And I was there when I just had a baby, you know, maybe a month or two before that, ready to learn because I was serious about doing this work. 
Uh, and it's the same thing uh, when you're in city council, mm. when you're running for office, because the campaign period is a good indicator of what you'll do when you're in office. It's the same pace. It's the same schedule. It's the same organizations, individuals, community groups. Every The campaign is a good measure of how your life will be as a city council person. And um, I always had the desire to run for office. Mm. But when Councilwoman Reynolds-Brown said, I'm not going to run for re-election. I told her, I'm so happy for you. And after we, you know, worked through uh, planning her announcement that Friday, that Saturday, I decided I wanted to run. And that was 14 weeks before Election Day. Wow. I had been to programs like She Can Win, and I had did the Women's Campaign School at Yale University or the Ready to Run program at uh, Chatham College. So I had done a number of programs where I received training uh, but the She Can Win program was the Philly-centric program I needed to help me be prepared to run for office in Philadelphia. So there were a number of candidates that were already in the race two and three years before me. They had been raising money. They had six figures in their account. So when I came out and said, hey, I'm going to run for city council at large, which is citywide, everyone said it's impossible. She's not going to be able to win. Uh, she can't raise the amount of money needed to get her message out across the entire city of Philadelphia. You know, we like her. She's a nice person. We know her from working with Blondell, but she's not going to be able to pull this out. So together with um, God, my family, my husband, my children, we were able to do it. Wow. And so yeah. And I got to say, um, I remember when Councilwoman uh, Blondell Reynolds-Brown announced she was not going to run. She came in. We did a whole show. And she spent half the time talking about you. Yes. Uh, she's a epitome of being a working mother, walking on a tightrope backwards, uh, blindfolded, with high heels on, trying to get it right, is what she used to say. And her experience as a working mother and my ability to have a front row seat to her life in city council um, has been invaluable to me now as a member of city council. Yeah, and, and the subject of this show is on whose shoulders we stand. Mm. I mean, you're literally, you know, standing on this woman's shoulders, and you now have a set of shoulders that someone else is going to stand on. Absolutely, and I think I learned more importantly from Councilwoman Blondell Reynolds-Brown that we have to support and uplift uh, the next generation of women leaders who will take on the positions of leadership and responsibility uh, in our city, in our businesses, in our organizations, and really lead uh, the next generation efforts in, in our community. Yeah. And you're a millennial. Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, and you're like the youngest person in city council. Yes, I'm the youngest woman, but Isaiah has me by two months. And I think as a whole, the, the freshman group of council members, um, we really formed that bond. Uh, we came in together. We're serving together. We support one another in our legislative and programmatic uh, events and all the things that we're working on. And it's good to work together um, with the freshman group uh, of members of council. Yeah. And you've already introduced a resolution, a bill, like you've been busy already. It's just been, you know, haven't even hit day 60 yet. Yeah. So we've been working really, really hard. Um, we introduced a charter change our first week in city council, which was two bills and a resolution 
to provide for a preference for graduates of career and technical education schools uh, and programs in the city of Philadelphia. So they have a preference when applying for civil service work with the city. And we recognize that uh, 75% of our city workforce is eligible for retirement within 15 years. And we need to create that pipeline, particularly for skilled trade opportunities in the city uh, so that we are investing in our young people from an educational perspective, but giving them the opportunity to continue to invest in our city by working here. So we are working through some challenges with that legislation to help educate members of the community about the good work uh, that CTE programs in alignment with those programs and and civil service opportunities can bring. And we look forward to uh, some additional work around workforce development in general. We are all going to have a stake in this poverty action plan and reducing uh, the amount of people who are living in poverty in the city of Philadelphia. And my lane in this will be workforce development and career and technical education, which is why we introduced that legislation the very first session of council. We already had a hearing and we're excited to um, continue to work through some of the challenges there uh, so that we can ultimately meet our goal and ensuring that we create a pipeline for young people in the public school system to city employment. Yeah. And it almost is like your background is perfect for this. You yeah. being one of the youngest members of council and a former teacher This kind of all ties in right together. Absolutely. Absolutely. It all ties in because I think our personal experience and educational experience helps helps to inform the work that we do. Yeah. Yeah. And so I also saw you quoted a few times in the paper, girl, like you like out there. They coming to you. I mean, talking about safe injection sites, mummers issue. I mean, there's a lot that has been happening in these little couple months. Since you've been sworn in. Yeah, it's a lot going on in the city of Philadelphia. And I think the most important thing that people need to understand is that we are elected by the people to represent them in the issues that they care about within their local communities. And for me, specifically around the safe injection sites, I think it's important that no matter what side of this issue you're on, whether you're for or against safe injection sites, we all have to recognize and realize that the community has to be engaged in this process. And as an elected public servant, our phones are ringing off the hook. We receive hundreds of calls from constituents asking us to please allow the community to have a part in this process. And as an elected public servant, we, we just have to do that. Yeah, I understand yeah. that there is a bill that is being circulated that would that would kind of make this part of the process, community uh, input and make it more difficult for folks to kind of use the by right uh, zoning as an opportunity to to open something like this without first engaging community. Yeah, we have to engage the community, but also we have to understand, and this is community, elected officials, and everyone that we are living and dealing with a, a drug addiction crisis in the city of Philadelphia. We're mm-hmm. dealing with an opioid crisis and. We may hear from lots of people um, from the community, but we also have to recognize that we represent those who cannot speak for themselves, who are living in addiction um, and who need help and support. Yeah. Have you taken a position on this yet? So I I haven't publicly taken a position outside of the campaign. I'm open and willing to listen to all sides. But I think most importantly, we have to listen to the input from the community. Yeah, it's a tough issue. And you don't know where you would come out. I mean, because it's, it's at this point, it's never been done. We would be the, first, the nation's first. And so let's let's put the facts out there. Let's see what's going on. Agreed. And I think it's important for Safe House, the nonprofit, to understand 
that the questions uh, that members of the community and elected public servants have deserve to be answered. What is part of your agenda uh, to say, you know, what this will be the legacy that I'm trying to build? Sure. So we also had hearings last week relative to our economic condition, uh, not only as a city, but as a country. Um, I think we've seen over the last couple of days that um, our economy is really in a free for all. Um, Right now we're looking at on the television screens how stocks have plunged Mm. um, and our 10 year yield has fallen below the one percent mark. So we uh, introduced and I introduced a resolution calling for hearings around our economies and our city's um, economies readiness for any potential economic recession. And the point of that hearing was to help us frame out prior to the budget hearings how we need to think about looking at our budget stabilization reserve funds to ensure that we are adequately prepared for any economic downturn. Yeah, because unfortunately in a recession, the people who are most vulnerable feel it the worst. Yes, and that's what happens. And we already know that we're the largest poorest city in the country. Um, We have a lot of people living um, at or below the Mm -hmm. poverty line and or living in deep poverty. And we need to ensure that we adequately plan for that because what will happen is they will rely on additional service and need additional service. And then some of the folks who are living right above the line will go below the line and then we'll have a number of people living in poverty, much more than we have now. So we introduced that resolution so we can continue to be fiscally responsible while we have a surplus uh, because we won't always have a surplus and we won't always have a surplus as large as the one uh, that we have now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so we got this is a big election year in Philadelphia. We got uh, census, lots of things happening. The phone will be ringing and and you'll be uh, very busy. But four years from now, what, what do you think needs to happen? So you will look back and say, you know what? I'm proud of what I did. Sure. So if poverty has decreased significantly, um, if we are providing an increased pathway for young people um, in the school district to have career opportunities, um, if crime has decreased and if we are able to effectuate the change indicated in the poverty action plan, I will know that we have made a difference. Yeah. So lots of work to do uh, with you. How can people contact your office? Because you're citywide, girl. That means anybody, (laughs) anybody can call you. Yeah. So we're open for business. Um, Our telephone number is 215-686-0454 on Facebook and on Instagram at Council Member KGR. On Twitter, Councilwoman KGR because the characters were off. And we will be on Snapchat as well soon. Going there, you reaching them, going to where people are. Yes, yes. We're going to where the constituents are. Well, I just want to say thank you so much to Council Member uh, Catherine Gilmore-Richardson for coming on Flashpoint. And again, congratulations. Lots of work to do, but you seem highly capable of getting it done. Yes. So thank thank you you. for being here. Thank you, Cherry. Next up, she's a first lady helping ladies many forget. Dr. Ellen Jo Waller of Neon Tabernacle Church and her effort to stop human trafficking. When there's no closure to the mystery and the sorrow, Gone Cold is KYW News Radio's true crime podcast about unsolved cases in the Philadelphia area. Someone has to know what happened and who did this. We searched the wooded area, we searched dumpsters. Someone's life ended tonight. It's the most important thing you can investigate as a police officer. Who has the clue that unlocks the truth? Search for Gone Cold KYW in the radio.com app or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Flashpoint, and I'm Cherry Gregg. Our newsmaker of the week made headlines when she was honored by Pennsylvania Senator Bob Casey on the U.S. Senate floor last month. 
Dr. Ellen Jo Waller is an educator, first lady of Enon Tabernacle Church, a mother, and now a shepherd of women many forget. Dr. Waller is founder of She's My Sister, a women's ministry that helps victims of human trafficking stuck in the vicious cycle of the sex trade. Dr. Waller, welcome to Flashpoint. Thank you. Thank you, Sherry, for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, and so congratulations again on your award uh, from Senator Bob Casey. You were honored on the Senate floor. That was amazing. I was completely surprised uh, when I received the the call from him, you know, just telling me that he was going to do that. And I was kind of like, wait, what? Very nice, because you've been working diligently for more than a decade Yeah. at this point. Does it even feel like you've been working in this space related to human trafficking for more than 10 years? No, it doesn't. It was interesting because of how I began. Mm -hmm. Um, It was research for our foreign mission convention. And at the time, so in 2005, um, when we began doing the research, my daughters were 13 and 14. And so at that point, the average age of entry was between 13 and 14. And so the issue became real for me as a mother, just kind of like, wait a minute. A, to find out this is happening in the world, but then to find out it's happening in the U.S., and then the age really kind of gripped me. I just can't imagine um, how horrible this is for parents yeah, um, and as well as for persons who are victimized. But for me, it was really from the parental perspective, thinking about, wow, my kids were exactly that age, and what would I be thinking, feeling uh, wanting yeah. to do or wanting someone else to do. When I was reading about this, how many black women, how many people of color are 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 the victims of this? So when you think about where people of color fall in all of those areas of vulnerability. Yeah. Um, so we are disproportionately represented in those spaces and therefore uh, disproportionately represented in, in the issue of human trafficking, particularly minor uh, trafficking. Yeah. Um, the, the FBI has found all over the country, I mean, just more and more young um, girls of color being arrested for, quote unquote, prostitution. Um, and what we're clear about is if you're not 18, it's trafficking. Yeah. So that's part of the federal definition. But, but the fact that we're arresting young kids um, for for being victimized, it's the only crime, if you will, that the victim is also considered a perpetrator of the crime. Yeah. And so you you started a ministry called She's My Sister. Yes. Um, because you're an educator by trade. Yes. And then you're also the first lady of Enon Tabernacle Church. Yes. So you use these platforms to because you're teaching people yes, about this. Absolutely. And then you're using this platform of the church even to create a ministry focused mm-hmm. on this. She's my sister. Tell us about that. It's interesting. We started uh, the She's My Sister ministry in 2011. Most of my work originally was international. Yeah. Uh, and so looking at what was going on around the globe uh, and then recognizing, wait a minute, it's happening right here. Uh, and so we started, I joined the Philadelphia Anti-Human Trafficking Coalition in 2009. And I thought, well, this is kind of crazy. It's like I'm doing all this stuff externally and we've got a church full of people, thousands of people who may be unaware. And so the very first thing that we did for 
uh, our ministry exposure at the church was we showed the documentary um, Very Young Girls. Mm. And I thought it would be a really good way of kind of bringing the issue home for us. And she's my sister, and we I specifically we specifically chose sister uh, so that we recognize the, the familial connections. And I didn't want us to get away from the real face of a person yeah, and a person that somebody cares about and we ought care about as well. So that's why we use sister. Yeah. Um, the ministry is three-pronged in that uh, we focus on advocacy, awareness, and outreach. We do an awareness conference and awareness run every year. Our run is always the first Saturday in October, right out at the um, Please Touch Museum, uh, you know, serving. We've we've taken Bibles down, and, and we're not proselytizing. It's kind of if folk want it, they can have it. We've done, um, for the past three years, uh, a pre-Thanksgiving kind of Thanksgiving-like meal mm-hmm. uh, down at the drop-in. It's changing the lives, because if you change the life of one person, you're changing generations to come. And so I just want to you know, to ask you a quick question because we see all these missing young girls Mm -hmm. in Philadelphia. I mean, every day I get a picture and they all look so similar. Um, They're all young teenage girls showing up missing. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes they come back. Right. um, And and never, they, they never, you know, never to be the same. And, and you, you, you don't really hear about it. You don't really, because we all do the search and then they'll say this person's returned a month later, but you never know what happened. Uh, and sometimes trafficking is the issue. Right. Um, how does that when when that goes through your mind, is that a motivating factor to keep doing what you do? Because maybe just maybe, you know, one of those girls will come through and and you'll be able to help her and, and, and at least provide some safety for a moment. Mm-hmm. So th- the interesting thing is, yeah, you're, you're right. There are folk, quote unquote, go missing all the time. Um, and when it is. Whatever it is, it's something traumatic. But when you start hearing about the numbers uh, who are missing, um, the numbers of, of, of young people who um, get caught up for whatever reason, um, it is. It is a motivating factor. It's like we, I, I want to see the day where we have eradicated human trafficking. And people want to say it's only happening to inner city kids. It's happening everywhere. Every county. Yeah. Um, Bucks County has got a huge issue. Um, Montgomery County, Delaware County, it's everywhere and it's everybody's kid. And that's real. And so how can people support you in your effort um, to help women? So, A, come out to the walk run in October. We'll be out there at Memorial Hall. You can register then. We have information out on the Enon website um, beginning in June uh, around around the registration for that. There are numerous opportunities to to help us we donate uh gently used clothing um we we donate the toiletries the the underwear this is real stuff and i think this is what we're supposed to be doing and that's what i kind of like about this initiative because it doesn't matter what your stature is in the community you got to be in the streets and the fact that you cooking yourself and going down there yourself and getting people to give underwear yourself <laughs> that's right is is amazing. And I think that's the real thing because we got to be in these streets and we can't, we can't, no matter what. What matters is for me is that I do uh, what I feel called to do uh, because of what Christ has done for me. 
I'm going to always strive to do for others. Absolutely wonderful. So please give us the website where people can find out more about the ministry. www.enontab.org. Yeah, well, definitely um, your work is worthy of celebration. And I give, you know, Godspeed as you continue to go out here because unfortunately... There's a lot of work to be done in this mm-hmm. space of human trafficking. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's wonderful that you're out there and in those streets getting it done. So thank you so much for being on Flashpoint. Oh, thank you. Next up, a 17-year-old Abington boy who transformed a cancer diagnosis into a mission for change. Team Jawan Strong. Their effort to save lives. This is Flashpoint, and I'm Cherry Gregg. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast by downloading the Radio.com app, Apple Podcast app, or by logging on to KYWnewsradio.com slash Flashpoint. We here at KYW, we are all about community. When a 17-year-old Abington High School senior was diagnosed with Hodgkin's and told his only cure is a stem cell transplant, he soon learned that few people of color are registered donors. So he got to work registering thousands for Be The Match, and he's not done yet. With me to discuss their effort is our Patriot Home Care changemaker, Jamon Adams, and his mom, Andrea. Welcome to Flashpoint. Thank you for having us. So thanks so much for being here. First of all, Jawan, you are amazing. Thank you. And how are you able to do so much while you're battling cancer at the same time? Um, I just have a lot of motivation and a lot of support, so it makes it easier to just keep living my normal life. You know, just trying to do the best I can in all the ways I can. Yeah. And so, first of all, you have Hodgkin's. Correct. For people who have no idea what it is, could you give us a breakdown? So, Hodgkin's lymphoma is a blood cancer. It affects the lymphatic system, so everything your blood touches, um, you tend to get tumors in your lymph nodes. So, this is something he was diagnosed with in 2016. Mm -hmm. Um, It's considered one of the highly curable cancers, but unfortunately, Jawan has a rare form of it, which makes it refractory, which means it's resistant to treatment, and he's relapsed. Right now, the cure for this would be a stem cell transplant from an unrelated donor, and that's what we are trying to get for Jawan at this moment. And so, Jawan, you've been on a mission. Yes. And explain what your mission is. My mission was to get as many minorities registered on the registry as possible. And why? Um, Because there's a lack of minorities on the registry. and There's a lot of diseases that can be cured in our community just by transplant therapy. And why do you think so many people of color or so few people of color register? Well, there's a natural mistrust between the African-American community and the medical community. We just have that fear of doctors or putting our DNA out there, Um, but it really is a very simple process. And right now, if you're a white person, you have a 77% chance of finding a match on the registry. That drops down to 23% if you are a black person or 15% if you are of mixed race. How many people did you get to sign up on the Be The Match? Uh, I've gotten 3,600 people to register so far. Wow. And so how did you do that? Um, just getting my story out there. I've been on multiple news cast. I was uh casting. I was on Good Morning America. Did a bunch of interviews, and it's just just been going viral. Did people even know that this disparity exists? It really is a matter of a lack of education. A lot of people just don't know how simple the process is. They don't know how it can affect everyday life. Um, even I, me in the medical 
field. I didn't realize it until it was my son. And I think that's kind of what people are connecting with Jawan. They see a regular, typical, everyday teenager, and they realize that that could be their child. If you text the word Save Jawan to 61474, um, Be The Match will send you a test kit. And inside that test kit, it is two swabs. You take one swab, swab your cheek for 20 seconds, do the second cheek, and then you send it back in in the self-paid um, envelope. It's that simple. And then if you are a donor, you literally just come in, get an education class, and then you give blood. They separate the stem cells from the blood, they give you the blood back, and then you go home. And you can literally, with one bag of cells, save hundreds of people. This sounds like it's a simple it's process, simple. and it could help make a huge difference. So let's take a moment and, and like, you get in the call that you got a match. How do you think that would make you feel? Uh, I'd be really happy, really relieved to know that I have a match. It'll make, you know, life easier. It won't put so much stress on me. It's all I think about nowadays. Like, what happens if I don't find a match in time or, if, you know, how that affect me, how it affect my family. You know, just getting that call would be, like, the best, best feeling in the world because I don't know that I have that match and then I could start planning out the rest of my life and how I want to, what I'm going to do with it. Yeah. I think you should continue to plan it because I have a feeling it's going to happen. And I think about the lives that are probably being saved as well because of this awareness. The Um, oncology and hematology department at CHOP are thrilled because they have patients that now have a new shot at life because Jawan made this awareness. Between now and April 1st, we're setting up as many donor drives. If a church or a university or school wants to host one, we just need a table and a location, and we'll do the rest. Well, I want to say congratulations on getting so many people registered and to have a 5,000. I have no doubt you'll reach 5,000 because it's like spreading like wildfire. Please give us your contact information. Um, You can visit the Prayers for Jawan Facebook page. Um, You can also email teamjawanstrong at gmail.com. Or if you want to do the testing at home, you can text Save Jawan to 61474, and then that way a test kit will be sent to your home, and you can do it right there. Wonderful. Well, I want to say thank you so much to Jawan Adams, to his mom, Andrea Adams, for coming on Flashpoint. Thank you so much. Thank Thank you. That's it for the Flashpoint podcast. I hope you enjoyed this exclusive content. Follow us on Twitter. Our handle is Flashpoint Show. You can also follow me at Cherry Gregg. If there's an issue that makes you hot under the collar, let us know. And we'll walk you through the flames. As the late poet and author Dr. Maya Angelou once said, each time a woman stands up for herself without knowing it, without claiming it, she stands up for all women. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. Until next week, thanks for listening.